Where'd he go? Interesting choice of versions, Nicholas. Yes, the ASV, that was different. <laughs> you know, they get a job and all of a sudden they think they know everything. Yeah, I, I tell you. What, the American Standard Version? Yes, American Standard Version. Went out of print about 35 years ago. <laughs> but we still have an electronic version, as you can see. So don't make much ado about it. <laughs> anyway, okay, leading by discipling. I think that's incredible. But I got a story for you. It's kind of funny. The application form of a certain college contained this question Are you a leader? One student pondered the question for a very long time in view of her high school record, which contained no athletic or scholarly achievements and no student offices. She honestly answered the inquiry, no. During that waiting period, we all hate the waiting period. You guys hate it when I get silent for 30 seconds, so we all hate the wait. During that waiting period, you know, which accompanies all application processes, the young woman wondered if Maybe she should have adjusted the facts slightly, answered the question differently. Much to her amazement, a letter arrived from the registrar's office with the following message, welcome to our college. A study of our application forms for the next year shows that we have 1,452 leaders in the freshman class, and they will certainly need at least one follower. <laughs> <laughs> You know, John Maxwell said, He who thinketh he leadeth and hath no one following is only taking a walk. <laughs> so, okay. Paul was discipling. You know, that's the biggest element missing in churches today discipling. We're real adamant about getting someone saved and getting them to know who Jesus Christ is on a personal relationship, but we don't seem to teach them beyond that very well. We kind of let it die. Well, Paul's giving us an example. In fact, Paul here, we know he's on what's called his third missionary journey. And we know that that began back in the 18th chapter of Acts, verse 23. Although this tour is called his third missionary journey, Paul really goes to no place new or plant any new churches. Instead, he revisits the cities where he spread the gospel on the first and second missionary journeys. So what was the purpose of those visits? Well, look with me back at verse 23 of Acts chapter 18. It says, After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. It indicated that Paul's purpose of the third missionary journey is discipleship. Remember the uproar in Ephesus that was recorded for us in chapter 19? That had concluded, and, and Paul sends for the disciples, those that he had been teaching for two years, and he encourages them uh, and then departs from Macedonia, which is northern Greece. Now, uh, I'm not going to forget Abby's question on that one. What? <laughs> it's Macedonia. Sorry. Uh, if you're new with this, I'm just weird. It's okay. Just run with it. I promise you it's all out of the Bible. Right? On their way to Macedonia. On his way there, he 
he encourages believers in towns he visited on the second journey. Um, when, he, when he reaches Greece, he stays there for three months. You know, remember, his custom normally was to address them three weeks in the synagogue. He stayed there for three months. Now, this had been a very difficult trip. A very difficult trip. In fact, Paul gives us a description of his condition when he reaches Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Now, before I read that, and you're going to read it in just a second anyway, that's okay. Let me share a little something with you. Um, the Bible always confirms itself. Okay? So when you're, when you're reading a scripture, like we're reading in the book of Acts, but in order to find out what happened with Paul during that time, we need to go to one of his letters to learn. And that's where we're, why we're going to 2 Corinthians. You see, because not all the information of what happened to him, if you will, is in the Acts right there, because remember, Luke is writing this from third person. So we know it's a trying trip. We know if we look now, Paul is going to describe that for us, but not until his letter, second letter to the Corinthians. See? So you have to look in more than one place to learn Scripture. That's why we have Bible study. You have to look in more than one place. Well, while I'm on it, I'll just go ahead. I had an individual one time, we were doing a short study on the Revelation. Now I realize short study in the Revelation doesn't necessarily go in the same sentence. Okay? But he had come up to us and he, had, he was, uh, I think he was just attending, I can't remember. He said, I read the Revelation, doesn't make any sense. I said, well, okay. Did you read the book of Daniel with it? Because they tie together. And he said, what's a book of Daniel? Because he only owned a New Testament. But what I'm trying to say is you can't always gain all the data from a book inside the book without looking at one of the other 66, okay? Uh, and so that's why I, I, I bring this up. So I want to tell you, we know it was a rough journey. How do we know it was a rough journey in Acts 20? Because Paul said when we arrived in Macedonia, see, same trip, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. That's a rough trip. That's a rough trip. So Paul's stay in Greece is brought to a close when he finds out there's a plot against him. And it's by the Jews. So he's getting ready to set sail for Syria. So he, in route, because of what's going on, he decides to return through Macedonia, which we know that from verses 3, uh, uh, the last part of verse 3. Verse 4 contains a list of men, seven men exactly, who represent churches from the provinces of Macedonia, Galatia, which is central Turkey, the Roman province of Asia, southwestern Turkey, not the continent we know today, uh, and the Roman province, uh, excuse me, th these seven are probably messengers carrying that love offering that they had been talking about that they took from the other churches to take to Jerusalem. Apparently, they travel with Paul from Corinth to Philippi, where again Paul meets Luke, who had been ministering there. Remember, we left him off. We left the we sections of the book. All of a sudden, the we sections left. He meets back up with, with Luke, who's been ministering there since chapter 16. Now, the seven of them go on ahead to Troas, and they wait for him and Luke to arrive. That's verse 5. Now, they don't arrive until after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which follows Passover. 
Now, Paul and Luke sail from Philippi to Troas. Now, Luke doesn't record that they celebrate the feast, so it's probably mentioned as a way to establish a timeline so that we know how things are moving and transgressing along. Now that I've finished the intro, let's get to the message. Because there's three things that must happen in discipling. And the first one is that dialogue must be promoted. Dialogue must be promoted. Remember, now we are. Intro as the first day of the week, Sunday, the group gathers to break bread. Okay? Sunday was observed by Christians as a holy time. Paul speaks to them. And we know that he's getting ready to leave the next day, and he has a lot to tell them, so he speaks until midnight, as you heard me telling the kids, which you probably remember more than what I'm saying now. That's okay. But the word preached right there is actually diolegomai. Diolegomai. And it's the word that we get our word dialogue from. So he wasn't lecturing. They were discussing. You know, Questions and answers were happening during that time. Now, People say, well, how on earth, if all that's going on, could somebody fall asleep? Well, I don't know. Lots of folks fall asleep in here on Sunday. I, I, don't, know. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> you have to remember, they lit their rooms by oil lamps. Okay, So it's late night. They've all got little oil lamps that fumes are coming off of. Lots of fumes. So Tychicus probably goes over to the window to get some fresh air. It's after midnight. He falls asleep and falls out the window. Three stories down. Look at verse 10. Acts chapter 20, verse 10. But Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, and said, don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. A young gentleman was dead. But God did another miracle through Paul. See, God still does miracles. Yeah. So after this miracle, they all go back upstairs and they break bread and eat and talk and engage in some more dialogue until daylight. That's a heck of a party right there, boy. Man, munching on food and talking about Jesus. What a great day. Wow. Any, meanwhile, we know that the, the young man is taken home alive and, and everyone is greatly comforted. Here's, the, here's my, my moral of that story. You need to attend church regularly, especially on Sunday, and try not to fall asleep. Okay, so we know the dialogue has to be promoted to have discipleship. The second thing that we need is the fullness of God's word is proclaimed. Paul goes by land to Asos, which is about 20 miles away, while the others travel by ship. At Asos, we know that Paul meets the others, and they sail on to uh, Medellini. Medellini, and then they go on to Chios, and then Samos, and Trogilium. Throw those out in a word study, huh? Yeah. Ending up in Miletus, which is modern-day Turkey. Paul sails past Ephesus. Because he's in a hurry to reach Jerusalem by Pentecost. We know that Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. 
He's already missed the Passover, so it's especially important to him to arrive in time for Pentecost. See, Pentecost was a day of celebration and thanksgiving to God for his provision. And, of course, we know that Paul is also carrying the much-needed love offering from the churches in Asia and Greece to the Jerusalem believers. We know that from Romans chapter 15 and 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And when Paul and his companions land at, at Miletus, he apparently has a few days of layover. So in verse 17, if you look there with me, Acts 20, verse 17, he says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Well, they arrive. Paul first reviews his first uh, the three-year ministry among them, and he reminds them of the tears and temptations, or trials, depending on your version, that he endured, as well as the Jews plotting against him. He also reminds them that he did not hesitate to teach them, either publicly or house to house, anything that would be profitable for them. And then he sums up his message to the Jews and the Gentiles in verse 21. He said, I testify to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, just looking at that verse for a moment, that is a great verse to explain the two elements that are required for salvation. First is repentance. Because repentance means a change of mind and purpose. It, it's turning from sin to God. But that's not enough to constitute salvation. Because the second thing is there must also be faith in the Lord Jesus. Although faith alone is the condition for salvation, repentance is bound up with it inseparably from saving faith. Salvation requires faith in Jesus' death on the cross for the remission of sins and, and faith in his resurrection. We know that from Romans 10, verse 9. So next, Paul informs them that he is presently on his way to Jerusalem and he does not know what will happen to him there. He also tells them the Holy Spirit has told him that prison and afflictions are awaiting him. Doesn't that make you have a positive attitude for the trip? But Paul tells them that his life is worth nothing to him unless he uses it to finish the course and ministry that he received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. His life meant nothing except to make much of Jesus. We should all be that way, folks. We should be making much of Jesus in all that we do. I know it's hard. I live in the world too. But it's always possible if you've asked him for a chance. He makes much of Jesus. And then he goes on in verses 22 through 25. He tells the elders that none of them will ever see his face again. And, and then he makes a declaration in verse 26. Acts chapter 20, verse 26. He says, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. 
It means that he has fully carried out the mission God has given him to evangelize Gentiles in their region. So no one's separation from God can be blamed on him. And then Paul reminds them that he did not hesitate to declare the entire gospel or counsel of God to them. And that means that everything God revealed to him, he taught them. And then there's the third part of discipleship. That your personal witness is to be protected. Paul concludes his address. He exhorts the elders or church leaders in verse 28 with three things that they are to do. The first one, they are to guard themselves. They are to guard themselves. It means that they are to protect their lives from the attack of their adversary, Satan or the devil as we know him to be. Second thing is they are to guard the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. It's a description of the responsibility of leaders. The third thing is they are to feed the church of God. Now the word translated feed here is actually pomeno, and it means to shepherd, and today it's the equivalent of the word pastor. It's important for church leaders to remember that it is the church of God, not theirs. I had a, a somewhat younger pastor than myself at a convention last year that was speaking, and he kept saying, I tell my people such and such. I tell my people such and such. And finally, when he got done, the, the person who was moderating that section got up and said, I just have one question for you, young pastor. And he said, yeah, what's that? I said, did your blood die for those people? Did you die for them? Is it your blood or is it Jesus' blood? So are they your people or are they Jesus' people? I was so glad he got up and set them straight, you know, because I was about to and I knew they'd kick me out. Wouldn't be the first time, but it's, you know. <laughs> I do have a tendency to speak my mind, you know. The point being, folks, is the church was purchased with the blood of Jesus, not with the blood of a pastor. The blood of Jesus. So it's his people, it's his church. You belong to him, I belong to him. I think Paul said that because he knows that as leaders of churches, you need to hear those words and be reminded. In fact, look with me at verse 29. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Paul goes on. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. There's going to be some adversaries of the church that will attack from the outside of the church while others, false teachers, attack from the inside like savage wolves. I think I've told everybody in here at least 10 times, never, ever take anything I say at face value. Look it up. Look it up. 
fact, if you bring your Bible with to, to church, you can do it while we're talking. Just a thought. Just a thought. You see, false teachers twist or distort the truth, and they draw disciples away after themselves. And Paul explains <clears throat> this, is, this is why for three years he did not cease to warn them day and night with tears because Paul cannot stay to chase away the wolves. He, he commits the Ephesian elders to God and, and to the word of his grace, the scriptures. See, God's word, which is all about his grace, is his tool to build us up and to give us inheritance among those who are sanctified or set apart for himself. Paul also reminds the Ephesian elders that he did not covet anyone's money or clothing, but he worked with his own hands to supply his necessities and those of his missionary team. And he, and he added that he showed them by this kind of hard work that we must also help those in need, verses 33, 4, and 5. And then in the end of verse 35, he actually quotes a beatitude of the Lord Jesus that's not recorded in any of the Gospels. Look with me, Acts 20, verse 35. If you have your Bible, you might want to mark this section. If you don't like marking your Bible, go ahead and mark in your neighbors. They like it. It'll be okay. Acts 20, 35, New Living Translation says, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And then finally, Paul kneels down and he prays with them. They're all crying. They embrace Paul. You see, for Paul, this expression of affection from these Gentile converts is in stark contrast to the hatreds of the Jews that he was soon going to face in Jerusalem. The love shown here for Paul is the love of the true church, the kind of love that changes the world. In fact, Jesus expresses that fact for us, recorded by, in John chapter 13, verse 35. He said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Have you ever heard that one before? Most of all, the believers are sorrowful for Paul because they will never see his face again. So they accompany him to the ship. To disciple converts, you have to promote dialogue. You have to proclaim the entirety of God's word. And your personal witness must be protected. I have a story I want to share with you about St. Augustine, and then I will close. Bear with me, you'll get it. St. Augustine, we are told, once dreamed that he approached the gates of heaven. An angel stopped him before he could enter and asked, Who are you? He responded, Christianus Igosum, I'm a Christian. No, said the angel, you are a Ciceronian. Here we judge people by what interests them, and you have only interest in the classics. Augustine claims that as a result of the dream, he changed his habits and devoted much more attention to the scriptures and holy living. 
What do you spend the most time reading? It's easy in our hectic world to value things that are temporary over things that are eternal. Sometimes it's tough just to get through the 1,440 minutes of a day. But God will make it work. Will you pray with me? Father, allow us to be your disciples. Be your disciples in the fullest sense of your word. And today in, in Acts 20, you've reminded us to feed on the word and that we shouldn't covet and that we should love each other. So I ask that you make us communicators of your grace, caring friends of other brothers and sisters in the faith. And I ask this, Father, in the matchless name of your Son. Amen.